Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we're in Long Beach, Washington, and we are with Jim at the International Kite Museum. The World Kite Museum. The World Kite Museum. I was close. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Long Beach, I think, is well known throughout the kite world for kiting. Correct. And I'm not really sure why that is. Is it because of consistent winds, or is it just because they sell more kites here? It uh, is a circumstance. Um, If you go back about 40 years, uh, the first kite festival was held in about 1980. And it was just a bunch of people who got together who thought they should have an enjoyable time on the beach flying kites. Okay? Right. And then that mushroomed in the Washington State International Kite Festival. And year over year over year, more people attended. Okay. At the same time, um, Kay Busing and her husband Jim thought collecting kites and displaying them in a museum would be a fun thing. Okay. And so they proposed to build a museum, and um, this is what we ended up with. And the board, in about, uh, it was about 2005, had spent about three years raising money, and I can show you the fundraising for that. Okay. All of these companies and people were donors that made this building happen. Oh, wow. In August of 2005, we bought this. 10,000 square foot facility on a little over an acre of land. We own it scot-free. We don't have any debt on it. How cool is that? And it's, uh, we turned it into the World Kite Museum. Cool. And all of our kites are either in storage or displayed. Okay. We display all the posters, all the 40-year history of the Kite Festival. We have all the posters in our theater room. Our theater room also has a uh, high-definition, very large... Um, monitor and we show uh, uh, digital images and film of kite festivals of the past and of the present. Kite festivals are held all over the world. They're held on the east coast, they're held on the west coast, but very few museums exist and we're the only kite museum in North America. Oh really? Yes. Well I'm glad to be here. Yes, it's quite exciting and um, it was really fascinating and we'll go upstairs shortly, but 
Um, it represents the cultural aspect of the world. Okay. Yeah, and that's a little unusual. Um, when you think of kites, you often don't think that there's kites in Afghanistan, there's kites in China and Japan, all over Asia. There was kites used by the U.S. military both in the Civil War, World War I, and World War II. Um, kites are used for all sorts of interesting competitions, and that happens all over the world. And so our whole goal is to represent that. And it's right here yes. in Long Beach. In Long Beach. In now, now, just out of curiosity, it says that Long Beach is the longest beach in the world? Yes, uh, that's a very powerful marketing term. Okay, and, and how is it, is, is it really the longest beach, or well, how determines that? Um, if I've never been to Australia, we clearly have the largest beach. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I see how this works. <laughs> Uh, for us, um, here, it is a very long beach. Okay. And um, it used to be known as the North Beach because it was north of the mouth of uh, the Columbia River. Right. So it was the beach north of the mouth. Before that, it was called the Weather Beach because this was where all the weather hit. Okay. And all the ships wrecked. There was a, from here to, oh gosh, um, the Straits of Juan de Fuca, the entrance uh, up to Puget Sound. Uh, almost in Canada, there have been several thousand ships wrecked along this uh, area. Okay. And so part of that is because it is a terrifically windy area, and the wind is either out of the northwest or the south-southwest. And so that means the wind is always blowing on shore, okay. which turns out to be a happy coincidence with kite flyers. Yeah, no doubt. Now, is it, is it more windy let's say, here in this particular area than what it would be on the Oregon coast? It's very similar because we get the weather first. So okay. the storms that come out of Alaska or the Pacific High, which is a high-pressure ridge that develops off Washington State and British Columbia, we essentially have nothing between us and Japan. Okay. And so we get that air, that clear air first, which is actually a happy coincidence because that means you can fly kites with one exception. What's that? It's either not blowing hard enough or it's blowing too hard. Okay. So the exceptions are there are days in the summer when it'll be beautiful and the wind is so gentle as to not even move a feather uh, lying on the ground or a piece of straw or a piece of grass. And the wind, when the wind gets under, say, eight, nine miles an hour, sometimes some of the heavier kites don't fly very well. Okay. Or they have to be up higher to catch clearer air. And then once the wind gets over about, say, 15 miles an hour, it's almost too strong for some kites. Definitely if it's over 20 miles an hour. Okay. A wind of 20 miles an hour will pick up the sand and move it. Okay. And I've seen both types of wind. Great wind, no wind, and too much wind during kite festival. Wow. And sometimes it's a time of day. Beautiful wind in the morning, too much in the afternoon. Sometimes it's, gosh, it's really quiet. It stays calm all day long. Then the next day, perfect wind. So it's circumstantial. It's, it's, we have steady winds, but they vary by the time of day. Okay, well, when you first walk into this museum, right. you uh, come on into this... You come in, actually, you came in the back door. Oh, I came in the back door. Okay. We come into... A store. A store. Yes. Are you on? I am. So when you first come into the museum, you see things for sale, because all museums survive by donations, admissions, sales. So this is a modest-sized kite store. You can buy cold weather gear when it's cold outside and you want to 
you know, be worn. You can buy different types of kites. You can buy kites that you can hang as banners. You can buy wind devices that you can put in your lawn, or you can buy kites to fly. Okay. And then there's the admissions. And of course, during the era of COVID, it sort of scrambled admissions, but you come in, uh, you pay a very modest admission fee. Very modest. Very We're talking youth, $3, adults, $5, seniors, $4. Very modest. Uh, that's, that's not modest, that's cheap. Yeah, it's a very inexpensive <laughs> way to have a good time. Uh, most, um, what you would call mainstream art museums, these numbers would be 30, 50, 40. Right, oh yeah, or yeah. Somewhere above 25. Um, the, um, our staff are very diligent know a lot about kites. We have information, brochures, collection of kite pens. We have an ADA elevator so that if you want to go upstairs, you just have to walk over here. And push a button. Push a button. And this is actually a rare treat for um, older facilities because some don't have this. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah. Are you cool? Yes. Oh, I canceled it by mistake. So now we're going upstairs. We're going upstairs. It's not very far. <laughs> but when you walk out, you'll understand why it made a good museum. Okay. And that became evident when we brought one of our funders from the Murdoch Foundation. The Murdoch Charitable Trust came here, and they were the ones who gave Ooh, the money. Wow. And they go, wow, because it's a big open space. Well, that's cool. Right. And that means it allows people to see things and enjoy things. Oh, wow, and you've got tons of kites. Yes, and so this is a barrage kite. There would be wires that would hang from this. And okay. It would try to cut down the wings of airplanes. Cut down the wings of airplanes. But they would fly this several thousand feet over a destroyer. And the really? wires that are hang down that are the tether wires were like extremely tough piano wire. And if a, back in the day, if an airplane flew in it to, with a wooden spar, wings, things like that, it cut the wings off. Really? Yeah. Now we're, looking, we're looking at a kite that's probably what? Uh, 100 years old. Ten, 100 years old. Yeah. Probably 10 foot across in the front more, more box. Like, more like, uh, I'd say more like 14. Is it that big? Yeah. More like 14, 14 feet in the front box. Yeah. It's got another box in the back that, right. that must be 8, feet. eight yeah. foot. Yeah. And then there's a distance in between, which is just a, a little framework, yeah. maybe 9 foot. Yeah. So it's kind of a big box kite. Right. Right. Exactly. Except it's designed to fly at high altitude above a ship. We hung it this way at an angle just to give it a little more life. Right. You know, uh, as if a plane had just flown into it or pulled it down, you know. But this represented kites used to protect uh, convoys. Okay. So every kite has a little description usually associated with it. And this is on the American and British use of barrage kites. Another good example of kites during World War II, this is a kite with an image of a Messerschmitt on it. Okay. And so this reel, that kite, would have been flown off the um, aft portion, fantail of uh, like a big battleship or a destroyer. And what it did is it taught gunners to track a kite and learn to shoot at it with like a twin 50 cal okay. shoot gun or identify the plane. Okay. And so here's an image of a man flying a kite, and this is a Japanese Zero. Okay. And he's flying it so the gunners can learn to look at it and identify the the plane. The plane. And yeah. then be able to they, they were used as a target. He practiced as a target. 
And here's an example of uh, soldiers in the field learning to practice flying the kite. Pretty amazing, huh? Yeah, really amazing. This would be a kite that if you uh, post, oh, World War II, Korean War, even into the 60s. And this is just your basic box kite. This is a probably one of the most powerful, simplest kites ever designed. Okay. This was designed to carry an aerial to a transmitter that was part of a life raft. Oh. And if you were in the water, you could launch the kite, put the antenna up, and then use this waterproof um, radio transceiver to send out a help message, and they would oh. come and rescue you. That is cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah, and he's got this transmitter. This transmitter's kind of hourglass shaped, yes. but, not, but not really narrow. It goes from the call um, May West. about one uh, May West. Yes. Okay. Kind of looks like a like a sort of life vest. A, yes. And uh, or figuration. And how heavy is that? It looks like it'd weigh maybe ten pounds. Ten, fifteen pounds. Uh, I don't know if the batteries are still in it, but the case and all of the accoutrements are still here. Right. So this is uh, this was originally called the Gibson Girl. Excuse me. The shape was the Gibson okay. Girl. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The May West is the life raft that they would carry. Right. Then we have other kites that were used for various. Uh, purposes. This is a famous Cody kite. This is a kite that was used to pick up Arctic mail packages. So they would fly these kites to hold a messenger container, and then a plane would fly by and pick up the message. How close did they have to be to pick up the message? I would imagine two or three hundred feet, something like that. So they fly. So, so, the, so the, the the excuse me, the plane would probably be two or three hundred feet above the boat. Okay. And this might be six, seven hundred feet above the boat, and the plane was able to snag the um, kite with a trailing wire and pull the package in. Really? Sort of crazy. I was going to say, the pilot had to have been one heck of a pilot. Right. And these here are all, uh, what, pre-50s? These are, uh, 50s is a good, uh, post-World War II. Post-World War II. Yeah, the Cody Kites pre-before World War II, the Gibson Girls, that's about World War II, post-World War II. Obviously, the, the Messerschmitt's World War II, the Barrage Kite. I believe this was World War I and World War II, but I think I remember looking at this. It doesn't really have a yeah, I think, it, but I think this was World War II. Because the fabric in this is a more modern synthetic fabric. So, okay. Yeah, it's like a, a early version of nylon. Wow, I didn't know that they were that the kites were a military thing. Yeah. So this here is we have pretty cool. All sorts of interesting kites with tags on them that identify their origin. When we first put the kites up, when we repainted them upstairs in the museum, this is a very large uh, samurai figure on an extremely large kite. And this is the braille core wow. that controls it. So when we put there it, must be there, there's what thirty cords coming uh, down. There's prob not quite that many. I think there's three per. Four per row. One, two, three. There's twenty at least. Wow! And they all come down into one, 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 one harness. One harness, and then that is held by a group of flyers. By one group. Person, one was, person could not fly this. Wow. And here's the interesting thing. So when you put these up, these are samurai. Okay. It's very important they not be looking at each other. Oh, really? Yes. Because you know why? No. If one samurai looks at another, it's a fight to the death. <laughs> so we separated them this way so we wouldn't come back in the morning and find them all no. wound up and torn and shredded because right. they were angry at each other. <laughs> and you've got... 
uh, about eight of the samurai yes. kites hanging on the wall, right. all different sizes from about three by three to this one is this one's probably what seven by ten or oh my or gosh it's more nine like by twelve or well, something. Well, it's on ten foot separation, so it's like nine by I would say four. Probably nine by twelve. Yeah, nine by twelve, nine by fourteen. This was a very that's tough a one big kite. Put up. Um, we also have lots of animal kites. Um, here's a crane there, a large hummingbird here, a big eagle here, a blackbird here. There's uh, parrots. There's owls. There's hawks. Those are really popular. It's an Indonesian, um, like a giant flying bird. Which is very popular, and most of these most of these bird uh, kites that you've got have a wingspan of four like six, four six feet. Yeah, yeah. And then we get the big one here, and that one's that one's got to be 20, oh, 25 yeah, feet. It's got a yeah, massive wingspan. Exactly, it's about twenty some twenty feet. Look at the one above. This is a flying. Oh wow! This is a flying fish. Yes, it is. And the flying fish is huge. And we put it up here 20 years ago. We haven't, no, no, we put it up here, not 20 years ago, we put it up here 15 years ago. And we've got to move it down so we can clean it a little bit. And we want to put it up where it has a better vista of it. It's a really cool kite. It is. And then kites can be very long, train kites. This train kite here is, uh, i got to remember where the, uh, I forget where it starts. Oh, here. It starts here. Here. And it goes all the way over there, all the way back around here, all the way over there. And we, we still have another, oh, I guess another 10 feet of it. So it's probably 70 feet long, 80 wow. feet long. Yeah. And it's just got, it, it's got a head of a or triple dragon. Yes. It's got a triple dragon for yeah. a head. Yes. And then coming off of the back, it's got all kinds of discs that are probably 12 to 14 inches round Correct. that make up the train. And they're just all connected by... Line uh, string and, and, and strips of bamboo. These wow. are all strips of bamboo. And so, what what parts actually flying? The whole thing flies. The whole thing the flies. The whole thing flies. So every little bit of this is catching air in yes. some way in order to yes. keep up but there. Kites like this take a really good team to launch them and fly them. It's some of these kites are not one person fly jobs. No, I'm going to have to make a confession. I don't think that there is a kite that's a one person me fly thing. I can get them up in the air about 15 feet, then they do all kinds of squirrel things and then crash. And that's all I've ever been able to do with a kite. I'm intrigued. I love to see them when, when I'm down on the beach and uh, people are flying them and it just amazes me because some of some of those people can get those things up oh. a thousand feet oh, or something higher. it seems if we, like. If we have a highest flying kite competition, we have to get a permit from the Federal Aviation Authority. So Are you serious? We, so we don't fly them. I don't remember. It's higher than 300 feet, I think. Anything over 300 uh -huh. feet or might be higher. But we, if we're going to go for a 1,500-foot or 1,800-foot or 2,000-foot record on height, they have to put the uh, net notice to avi aviators that there's that this area right. may be a kite way up there. So don't fly here. Wow, and what is the record for... Oh, I, unfortunately, I'll have to call and tell you that. I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> but it's over like 2,000 feet. I think it's over 2,000 feet. The problem is, the higher they get, the heavier the line, uh -huh. and the line is the constraint. You have to have a really highly, very strong, very tough line that's very lightweight. Okay. Yeah. 
Here's animal kites. And, and we got frog and a turtle frog and, and a turtle, butterfly. Butterfly, butterfly, lobster, another frog, a crab, um, a flying insect of some sort, uh, a lady who's both a, uh, like a swan. Oh no, she's riding a swan that's actually a kite. Okay. Yeah. And, and a pig flasher. And a pig, oh, the pig is hilarious. <laughs> so there's a pig standing here with his arms there's up. There's two <laughs> elephant kites there. Um, there's a there's a kite that has a scene in it, and so yeah, you, kites are really what you enjoy about nature, enjoy about the wind. These are kites that are made out of very rudimentary materials, leaves. Leaves. Yes. Oh, leaf. that, yeah. that's a big leaf, but yeah. it's just dried. Yeah, exactly. And it's I don't know. That leaf's probably what twelve inches long and six oh, inches the wide. From the tail. Well, yeah. I'm just talking about the leaf yeah. part. But it has a tail. It does. So it, theoretically, you can fly as a kite. Really? Then, if you combine the leaves together, then you make a kite shape. And the basic diamond shape is very common. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's squarer. Sometimes the tail is short. Sometimes the tail is long. This horse behind you, for example, is a kite that flew. And when you look at it, you go, how can a horse fly? Well, in actuality, it's very light. Air can get inside of it, keep it shaped. Probably took a pretty good wind to fly this horse. It's, and, and we're talking about a horse that's probably close to pony, life size, for, pony, pony size. For, a, for a 12 hand horse or something. Yeah, pony, pony size, I would say. And it looks very horse like. Oh, very. I, I don't really see much in the way of, of area for wind to get in other than the, the mouth right and the hooves. There's a, oh, is there a big opening right underneath? The there. Yep. Okay. Yep. But it still doesn't look like there's a lot of air no, surface. Not to, all. So it take a pretty good wind to make it fly. And it is. It, it's a really cool-looking kite. I'd love to see that one fly. So, now, do you personally fly a lot of kites? No, I don't. Oh, you're like me? I'm uh, vice oh. president of the museum, and I do things like the budget. Oh. <laughs> and I fix the Roomba. We have a ro robotic vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and um, I, I'm not a... It's not that I'm a big kite flyer, but that I work full-time. I just sometimes fly kites. But we have a dedicated bunch of people here on the beach that fly kites. Now, are there certain kind of kites that are easier to fly oh, than others? Yeah, or? there are. A single-line kite is the easiest. Like the little ones that you buy yeah. at the dime store? Exactly. Or? They're the easiest to, to try out. These kites here are basically the ones we're looking at, a single-line. Once you get into double-line, then you're starting to control the movement of the kite. And so there's a kite there that's a double-line kite that looks like a very swept-back right. arrow. And then they go from there to four-line kites. And then kites, which we... What I can show you downstairs. Um, I got to turn these lights out. Okay. Kites evolved so much into a basic modern form that's called a power kite. And let me see if I can find it. Actually, the way to show power kites to you is to actually show you downstairs power kites in action. Okay. Then you'll, it'll make sense to you. Are you talking about ones that have that are motorized nope. or? Nope. They basically are designed to generate enormous pull. Okay. That's called the power, and they look like a flying mattress. Oh. Uh-huh. And they, because of their basic design, they became the kites of choice for wind, uh, kite windsurfers. Uh, oh. 
that kind of got the air chambers in them, the square yeah. air chambers or whatever? Yeah. Okay. I think I've seen some of those. But uh, the reason we have this is there's a really good reason. We just came into, into the room where he's got uh, the big video screen, and you can see the different kite festivals. We've also got all the posters from the first, well, the sixth uh, annual kite festival in 1987. Each one of them has a different artist that has done their artwork. And there's some really cool pictures here, some really cool art that uh, all have kites and, and are kite oriented. So here, let's show you uh, some really interesting kites. Okay. We were, we were up in Hood River, and we were watching guys with kites doing their surfboard yes. or, or power surfing. So this so. is in uh, Scandinavia. Okay. And that's a, see that kite? That's a power right. kite. It's a, basically a three-line kite. It's got a, 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 a bridle that the man or woman wears around their chest, and it's got okay. a control handle so they can make the kite turn. Right, one way or the other. So watch. Okay, this guy is is ski is ice skates on, and he's hanging onto this kite that's pulling him across the ice. He's going, I would estimate, say 20, 25 miles an hour. Yeah, it looks like he's going pretty good. Yeah. He's just moving right along, and the kite is is out in front of him and and pulling him. So this is the modern use of kites in sport. Okay. It's remarkable. We'll watch this for a few more, uh, a minute maybe, and then I'll show you another use of kites in uh, formula kite racing, which is an extremely interesting way to use a kite that most people have never even seen. Kite racing. Right, kite racing. So let's go to that okay. um, a, a video, just because it is such an amazing, I think it's this one well, I know that they've you know used kites for a long time in uh, hang gliding and and some of that kind of stuff. Yes, they're the kites are used in all sorts of. Let's see, it's not this. One. This is a see. Yeah. Okay. He's on a hydrofoil yes. surfboard. Yes. Yeah, that's what we were seeing in uh, Hood River. Yes. Those guys, there were lots of them out there, and they they had lots of different types of kites, from ones that they just hung on to yes. to other ones that they were flying. Yes. Out, and it was amazing how fast they could get up on that little hydrofoil yes. and then they'd be sitting above the waves a foot and a half or two foot and even though the water was really choppy and stuff right. it looked like it was pretty smooth. So his kite's upside down, that's the wing. Okay. His hand's on the wing and that would be below the water. Right. And it allows them to fly in waves at extreme speeds and they right. race each other. That's okay. what they call a formula. Kite. There we go. See, there you go. Yeah, and they're standing on their surfboard yes. two foot above the water yes. being pulled along by a kite. Absolutely. That's an amazing, but this is evolution of kites. And so the kite evolution has happened in the last two, three decades. Okay. It's astounding what people are continuing to invent and use kites for. And so we, rather than bring that material to us, we now can go to the site and show people what other kites are doing all over the world. Okay. And is this like an Olympic competition this now? Is a, this would be a class in Europe. I believe this is in Marseille. I'm not 100% sure. 
but this represents uh, extreme athletes in an extreme sport. Yeah, that guy just came out of the water with his kite pulling him probably yes. 20 feet in the air. Yes. Uh -huh. Wow. And so the power kite does a couple things. It transfers his shape into power. That's why he has the um, loops to put his feet in to right. his position. And then he can steer himself. He can jump out of water, re-enter the water, and then he can race with his buddies. Wow. That is amazing. Let's see if we can find another one. So do they do much of that kite racing no, stuff around no, here? No, that up the gorge. Up yes, the gorge, yes. yes. Uh, I was going to show another one. Let's see what was. Oh, kite power is most interesting. So many of these um, let's see. kite power. Are you talking about generating electricity with kites? Yeah. So here's a short video on generating power. I.e. Right. Electrical power using kites of different types. Wow, I never even thought about something like that. Yeah. Instead of instead of windmills. See, this is normally how you think of wind generation. Right, is with great big windmills. Right, or solar. Or solar. Cells. Right. Right. Huh. Uh, I would think that the kites would be a lot easier to dispose of than the blades on the... Well, the different technologies, they're more portable. Oh, yeah. They can have a truck that takes the kite to a site, puts the kite up, flies the kite for a day, 10 days, 15 days, 20 days, or maybe a year. They can bring it down for maintenance, set it back up. It's not really heavy. It's actually quite light. And this is just one solution. There's many solutions. This is just one company's solution for what they call a renewable energy. Right. And, and how do they, How do, I know that a, that a windmill generates through a generator. These generate through a pattern they fly in the sky. They often call it a racetrack pattern. And what that means is they can fly and generate power or they can hold in place and generate power. Really? Yeah. And where's the generator at? Or the... The, the generator is in the, the uh, lightweight units in the kite itself, like little okay. turbines. And then how do they transfer that? Down so the, the wire? wire. The wire. Yeah, down the wire. Okay, so, so they're using a wire for the string. Exactly. They, they use it for the same purposes. Huh. That is fascinating. I have not heard anything about uh, that type of a deal. That kite is huge. Yeah. It looks like half a blimp is what it looks like yeah. with the wind turbine in the middle. Yeah. And so so it's using the kite to hold the turbine. In place, and then it generates power by spinning a smaller turbine. Right. Now, do they also fill those with helium to keep I'm it up sure the wind's do. not blowing? Sure it looked like it could have been held with, with helium and uh, tethered off. Yeah, that's, that's way cool that they're able to... to Advance the technology yeah. that way. Yeah. Huh. Well, well, this has been fascinating. I appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully, you hopefully people will show up and, and take a look at this museum. The, the, the historical kites are my favorites. Yes. The ones that they were using uh, just pre-war, yeah. post-war, post during the war. Yeah. Those were absolutely cool. And remember, the creation of synthetic fabrics out of World War II created things like modern versions of nylon right. that we use, and we think of like ripstop nylon. Well, that resulted in extremely light fabrics that took kites from paper to a true fabric kite, which is very light. 
or different types of fabrics. Right. And so the kite technology is continuing to evolve on the material side. And it's also continuing to evolve on the sports side. And now it's evolving on the power side. But most, mostly it evolves because people like to fly kites. Right. So enjoy that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's way cool. Well, I appreciate your time, Jim. I Thank appreciate you. you meeting us after hours. No and, problem. And uh, running us through here and showing us what all you had. And I usually finish out my podcast by saying the world is full of wonder. People need to get out and explore. Come to Long Beach, watch the kites fly. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Today when we were down there, they were flying a SpongeBob SquarePants and a big great big worm and just all kinds of different shapes, sizes, and everything else. It's, it's really cool to watch somebody that knows what they're doing. And makes me wish that I could figure out how to fly a kite without crashing the doggone thing. If you lived here, you would be flying kites. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> and so everybody, have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the rolling go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?